0: while facing a pandemic, a liar-in-chief, fake news, and murder hornets. This is The Last 100 Days.
1: Alrighty guys, welcome to day two of The Last 100 Days podcast. We're counting down the last 100 days until the 2020 election on November 3rd. We hope you enjoyed yesterday's launch. We were honored to have as our very first guest, writer, director, producer, and advocate, Brian Buckley. He created the Trump Statue Initiative going on in Washington, D.C. right now. And we had a great conversation about his impetus for that idea and what it's doing around the city. Today we welcome co-host Brandon Carmody to the show from Portland, Oregon. Brandon will be here every Tuesday and Thursday and on special assignments in between. Brandon, how you doing, buddy?
0: Good morning, Scott, and uh, thank you, sir, for inviting me to the show. I appreciate that.
1: I appreciate your opinions, as always, and being the co-host for the show um, yesterday, Michael and I kind of introduced ourselves a little bit and what our goals were. Why don't you go ahead and step up to the plate, let people know a little bit about you and what your goals are for the next <laughs> 100 days here.
0: Very well, thank you. So I guess our one-minute elevator pitch, Brandon Carmody. Um, I am a pianist, musician, and songwriter, so I've spent a lot of time in the artistic world. Um, I officially started recording and releasing songs in 1990, so I'm in my 30th year of recording and releasing music. Um, I have also dabbled in filmmaking, having done every role from being an actor writer, director, producer. I'm also fancying myself as being a pretty savvy uh, film and movie editor. So that's why I'm able to edit radio so cleanly as I've spent so much time cutting films. Um, I also work at a radio station called GBC News where we have a team of about 10 people and we're trying to do something similar to what you do on the air. But um, the main reason that I am here for this particular show is to talk about the last hundred days. And I could go either way, Scott, what do you think? Are we talking about the last hundred days of the Donald Trump administration, or are we talking about the last 100 days of life and liberty as we know it? That this seems to be an open question.
1: Exactly. That's why we put the question mark at the end of the podcast there. Uh, we're hoping for the first and preparing for the latter, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we got to see what happens here.
0: I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, this is not, uh, it's, you know, it's like watching the bad twist of a Game of Thrones final season or something, or 24. Uh, it's right. anyone's game.
1: Well, exactly. Let's kind of jump right into it um, on that note. I mean, we have the 2020 election happening now. Polling is definitely showing Biden ahead uh, in most every race. But we know that polling showed Clinton ahead all the time. What are your opinions on polling?
0: Okay. Um, I do have a thought on this. First of all, my belief that if we're going to learn anything, you guys, from 2016 and from our nation's past election history, is that those lessons, 2016 and previous, need to translate into getting out the vote, needs to translate right. into increased voter registrations, mail-in ballots, um, COVID-19 has definitely had an impact on the primary races, and you've seen people that were willing to brave and stand in the lines, and people were not. Um, one thing that I don't want to see happen here is for everyone to bask in the polls that currently show Biden ahead, only for everyone to wake up on four, you know, November 4th to realize that Emperor Palpatine <laughs> had, now has a second term in complete control of our country, and he would be unhinged, right. no limits. That's, that's my opening statement.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. The polling was wrong before. I think there's a couple factors now. I mean, the first time out, he was a wild card. He was known just as that guy from The Apprentice on TV, which helped a lot without having a record to run on, really. Um, His record was pretty abysmal, I thought, for failed casinos and uh, failed business things. But that's what he was being touted, the business guy. So I don't know. I mean, right now, I'm just looking at a quick overview here. We have in Arizona, Biden up by five, Florida, Biden by six, Georgia, Biden by two, Michigan, Biden by six, North Carolina, Biden by one, Ohio, Biden by one, Pennsylvania, Biden by eight, and Wisconsin, Biden by six. So, I mean, if you looked at the polls, it's like, well, wow, this is going to be a landslide. But I just don't know if we can trust them.
0: Um, I, I will counter those numbers with some numbers that I've conveniently located on. Uh, so one, just can I say one thing here? I tasked myself to do a really good job for you and for the show, Scott, because as a journalist, I should already be reading all of these publications. You know, I, I literally – assigned myself an assignment list last night and saying as part of my daily reading, I need to look at Washington Post, New York Times, and just a whole conglomerate of different things, not to mention the fact that I'm an avid consumer of cable news on CNN, MSNBC. So the information I'm pulling here is from multiple sources, okay? So pulling numbers from Wall Street Journal, NBC News, and the Pew Research Gallup tell the story of why Trump needs an ideological culture war to win the election. So here's some numbers. 80% 80% of Americans believe the country is out of control. 65% think the coronavirus is getting worse. Only 19% of Republican voters are satisfied with the way things are going in the country. 72% of voters believe the country is on the wrong track. So those are favorable conditions for presumptive candidate Biden. And by the way, can we take the quotes off presumptive candidate? Is there somebody else that's going to swoop in there? It's it's Biden, right?
1: right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: I think given these numbers, if the election were held today, it would go for Biden unless there's something that we're missing in these numbers or some secret wave of, you know, super delegates or votes unless there's something we're not seeing here in the delegate mass. No, and I,
1: and I think that's true. And like I said, I'm, I'm a little more confident in the poll this time because I really do believe there was the silent majority before people that were maybe embarrassed to say they were going to vote for Trump. Um, I don't think people have been silent anymore we 're pretty polarized these days. so I think you're getting a vast amount of people giving their honest opinion. so hopefully the polls are a little more correct this time. We just can't take stock of them. I mean I think I think everyone says that you have to run like you're ten points behind in the polls, no matter how far ahead or behind you are because that's just what you need to energize your campaign and to to keep pushing yourself right?
0: Well, I guess I want to ask you a question here. What do you think about the prospect of the fact that so Trump tried to hold some rallies and that classically classically backfired, you know, multiple members of his campaign staff. Contracted the coronavirus, Secret Service, and now people in the White House. But but anyway, you can't hold these big arena events. Neither side can the Biden camp, the Trump camp. So we've never seen an election where you have to go through these other mediums. You have to use the TV channels. You have to use the social media to get out the vote. So that is part of what may mark this election as unprecedented, because you can't hold these big arenas of 20, 30, 60,000. Do you have any thoughts on how the coronavirus has changed the landscape of what the election is looking like?
1: Well, it definitely has. It has for the debate over mail-in ballots right now that I think we're doing. That's due to COVID. I think it has to do, as you said, for ways of promoting the campaign. I think... Trump campaign did that much better than uh, Clinton did. Um, That that Brad Pascal guy they just demoted as his head campaign manager, his job last election was in charge of all social media and outreach, internet outreach, and he did that masterfully, I thought. So he is back down in that position. I was kind of hoping they would keep him as the campaign manager because it kind of split his focus from that, which that was – his job. That's what he did last time, and he did it very, very well. So I think if it's, that's going to be a slight advantage to Trump, if you uh, want my honest opinion on that, as far as that goes. So I think it is going to be a lot different. It's going to have to do with mail And right now it's showing that voter enthusiasm is a little more on Trump's side. It's showing more people wanting to vote for Biden, but the enthusiasm of actually going to vote is on Trump's side. So how is that going to play out if it's a mail in ballot, if it's not a mail in ballot, there's voter suppression. There's so many factors right now that I think it is going to be probably, as you say, one of the weirdest elections we have had in a very long time.
0: Yes, and there's um oh, there was a frightening op ed that came out, I believe, in the New York Times a week ago that laid out again, these are opinion pieces, but um frightening when A notable columnist lays out a scenario by which the president of the United States, if he were to lose the election in 2020, would not accept the election results. And what constitutional crisis would we find ourselves in as a nation? What steps would our elected bodies have to take? So we're going to probably go down that rabbit trail in a different segment. But I just want to put a thought out there that there is a lot of fear looming around that. What would our current incumbent president do if he were to lose the election? What wag well, the dog style, you know, international conflicts would ensue. You know what? Uh, what well, <laughs> I think anything's possible at this point. There's nothing that you and I can invent in our imagination, and it still may be tame compared to the reality.
1: Well, and on top of that, he doesn't. When he's asked at point blank by Chris Wallace on a Fox News interview, he doesn't deny that he may not accept the results. So it's not that it was fantasy and opinion piece. He actually came out of his own words. He says a lot of things, though, just to create controversy. So is he saying it's something as an honest opinion, or is it something we really have to deal with? I think you're 100% right. We don't know what could happen. We've uh, (laughs) discounted what he said before, and it's come to pass. So who knows, right?
0: I'm so feeling like quoting Agent Scully right now. It's not paranoia when they really are out to get you.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well said. All right, well, let's, that kind of um, brings us into uh, from polls to voting. I want to talk about voting for a little bit because I did look up, and I guess in 2016 and 2018, 40% of ballots already were mail-in, which is high, higher than I thought it was for some reason. But I think one of the interesting things, um, one of the things that Trump is going against is the clock, right? We have these 100 days down. And right now he's behind. So he's trying to do all in his power to change your mind before the voting. But when you look at it, voting starts in 13 states before the first presidential debate. So I think that's going to be very interesting with early voting and mail-in voting. That's going to be an entire another factor altogether. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I have I've been looking at the mail-in voting, Scott, and unfortunately, I, so just on my screen right now is a Fox News piece titled "Trump claims mail-in voting will lead to the most corrupt election in U.S. history," and I've studied this particularly and looked over this, and I listened to a lot of Morning Joe. The consensus seems to be that Donald Trump, from their internal polling and from historical experience, knows that if we pump out the mail-in voting, he will lose this election in a landslide. So if you're going by the Trump playbook, and they're desperate, and they have so little plays and maneuvering left to do, he has no choice but to attack the mail-in voting, which is what you're seeing happening. There is no corruption right. in mail-in voting. They've proven that, buddy. There is no corruption in mail-in voting. He's attacking it because he knows he will lose if we get out the vote in mass through mail-in, which, by the way, my last thought on that, given the pandemic that we're in, getting out the vote through mail-in ballots is the right decision. It's the right call. It's a safe call, I think, right?
1: I think it has to be, not just for COVID, but, I mean, like we saw in the primary elections in Georgia, when they had one polling place for, like, well, there used to be 200. They had one polling place left. How can you have a oh fair boy. and vote and let people have time to vote when you can't do a, an election like that? Um, I think mail-in is the only fair way to go. And I, I like the idea of going, I want to go to a polling place and vote. I, I Early voting is fine for me if it's done safely, but I think you need to expand early voting and you need to allow for the mail-in voting because some people are just not afraid. I'm not afraid to go to a polling place and cast my vote. I kind of like that idea of going into a little booth there and marking my thing. That's my civic duty. And I kind of like it, but A lot of people are scared to do that, and I totally understand that. So I think mail has to be an option.
0: So I tried to look at the Fox News Sunday interview they did with the president a week ago and uh mm-hmm. this is the sad part I, 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 we're just gonna have to get rigorously honest as we go through these 100 days by the way so i'm going to start here on this first episode i failed in my assignment i was supposed to watch the entire fox news interview for my other radio station it was an assignment was supposed to study it and break it down and i'll tell you what i made it to the four minute mark and let me tell you what happens at the three-minute mark. Chris Wallace <laughs> pulled up the statistics of where the coronavirus statistics were on the upward tick, and everything was really going off the rails. And talked about death rates, and that's when the president said, "Wait, wait, you're all wrong about the death rates." And he called over his uh, his new henchman, his Darth Mole, that that gal that's now the new press secretary, and he said, "Kaylee's right here. Please bring in the death numbers." And so I, I was just so disgusted and so so much bile in my mouth. I have been very vocal and open in my disdain for this president. I made it to the four-minute mark. I didn't finish it. But, but let me read from the article. Wallace asked whether the president would accept the results of the presidential election in November and asked whether the president was a good loser. President Trump says, I'm not a good loser. I don't like to lose. I don't lose too often. I don't like to lose. You don't know until you see. It depends. I think mail-in voting is going to rig the election. I really do. So he repeated that false claim on Fox News. By the way, Chris Wallace did an excellent job of not being a sycophant on that interview, Scott. Chris Wallace, who has moderated these debates before, actually pretty respectable, I think.
1: Oh, I think he is probably one of the saner voices of Fox News. That is for sure. I mean, he's he has uh, called out quite a few things over this last three years, and um, I, I have I have nothing but respect for him. And he's the son of Mike Wallace, so I mean, you'd think <laughs> that he would be a pretty good journalist. Mike Wallace was pretty impressive himself. Oh so, yeah, definitely.
0: Absolutely. And I'm uh, we do all mail in voting here in Oregon, so it's been my experience. My entire adult voting career, so to speak, has been mail I've never known anything different because I've been in Oregon uh, for 30 years. So, you know, I turned 18 while I lived in Oregon. So I'm not used to the polling stations and the other experiences that other states do. Mail-in voting is my norm. And I think it works right. very well in Oregon and the other states that have made it the standard. I think that's part of what you're showing in your numbers in your past history of mail-in vote is its success rate and accuracy.
1: Yeah, I think I I, I don't think there is a cause to that, especially I mean I did see something on social media the other day I thought was interesting that the US Postal Service said that they are it's approximately a 14-day turnaround to get voting in. So actually election day is not November 3rd. It's something like October whatever it was. I think it was October. 19th, October 21st or something, because you have to allow for that time because I think it says even though it's supposed to be postmarked by November 3rd, but for some reason, the post office was saying that you should have it in earlier. One of the disputes they're having right now, oh, it was New York. That's what it was. It was New York State. Um, One of the things Cuomo did was he gave prepaid envelopes to the entire state of New York to mail in their ballots, right? But because right. of that, the post office did not postmark them. So there's no definitive dates on it, and things are still coming in. So that's kind oh, of create a no. controversy. So there is some controversies still around mail in voting. I think it's a, a, an upfront and honest system, but we do have to watch for things like that. So I thought that was an interesting article I read.
0: Here's something that looks like it's hot off the press from the Washington Post, or at least as of last night, I'll read you the byline. At least 77% of American voters can cast ballots by mail in the fall. And if we just go through here, I'll just give you a couple of headlines from it. As of now, over 180 million Americans who are eligible to vote will be able to cast ballot by mail of those 24 million live in states that will accept fear of the coronavirus as an excuse to vote absentee or have switched to become a no excuse state. So, um, I, I haven't looked into this too deeply, but does that mean that some states that don't normally do mail-in are allowing this option due to COVID? Is that what we're understanding here, Scott?
1: I'm not 100% on it, but it sounds like, it. yeah, that that sounds about right, which is good. It's good news to me. I like that. That's a good percentage of people that can mail-in best. Would you say it was 70-something percent? Yes,
0: and that, okay, so here's a rundown. 16 states in D.C. have made a change. 34 states have made no change. Okay, so 16 states have made a change as a result of coronavirus. So <laughs> you know how they say, get out the vote? <laughs> well, our grand old party, our, our friends on the other side of the aisle are basically trying to get out the get out and block the vote. <laughs> they should,
2: right, they should exactly. have their, uh,
0: their logos printed up accordingly, wouldn't you say? If they were to properly be branded with who is backing them and sponsoring them, it should be get out and stop the vote on their t shirts Exactly.
1: I can see on MTV now they'll have the entire campaign. Unrock the vote. That is absolutely crazy. All right, let's go on to other topics here. I think uh, something interesting that I saw that just happened the other day, and it kind of affects my state here in Ohio peripherally, the second location for a debate has pulled out this week. Uh, You might have heard a month or so ago, University of Michigan was supposed to be the site of the October debate, and they pulled out and and declined, uh, citing COVID-19 concerns. So they thought that has not been reassigned yet. This week, Notre Dame, which which had the honor of having the very first presidential debate on September 29th. Well, it decided to pull out this week for the same concerns. So they are not going to do <clears throat> host the first debate because of concerns. But what happened was Ohio picked up the slack, and now Case Western University um, and Cleveland Clinic are picking it up. So it's still going to have the first debate on September 29th, but it's going to be on the Cleveland Clinic's health education campus here in Cleveland for the debate. So I thought that was very interesting that we have – debate places canceling um, because of COVID. And I read an a, a ancillary article that if Biden's smart, he wouldn't debate Trump at all. What are your thoughts on debates?
0: Well, <laughs> I first and foremost, folks, if you're listening, and, and Scott, you, you, I know you have listeners. You have a good deal of regular listeners. So I am appealing to you, folks who are listening, you cannot take your eyes off the 2020 election. There is no room for complacency. There is no room to just ride on the polls and say oh Biden's going to win. There is no you cannot not vote in the election, but you certainly have to watch the debate. All of the um I know that you're leading to talking about some kind of October surprise here and we're definitely going to incorporate that, but whatever Barbs are going to be exchanged between the two. Whatever dirty laundry is going to be revealed. But more than anything, let's just say this, Scott. The stark differences between the two men, America getting to see the split-screen image of their two choices for Commander-in-Chief, that is the moment to see them together. Seeing them piecemeal here and there. Here's a clip with Joe Biden that caught on the trail. Here's a clip of Trump coming off the golf course or getting onto yet another damn helicopter, which by the way, it annoys the hell out of me that they always do those interviews with the roaring blades of the helicopter behind them. Can't we do it differently? (laughs) But the debate (laughs) is pivotal. If there was ever a TV finale that you needed to turn into we're nearing the season finale of this one, and there's just a couple of rounds to go. We're, we're, you and I are doing a show here called The Last Hundred Days. So think about your time frame, guys. You have to watch this debate. The consequences are enormous.
1: Well said, definitely. And I think, I mean, at least one of the debates in 2016, Trump really tried to intimidate Clinton, I thought. Um, when he was kind of circling around behind her and walking behind her. I don't think intimidation (laughs) is going to work with Biden. He's going to try to confuse Biden, maybe. But I don't think intimidation is going to work for him at all this time. Um, Biden's going to be able to hold his own pretty well. So I am definitely interested to see the contrast, as you said, of the style of the debate and the competency of how they come across. I think it's going to be very interesting.
0: I didn't, um, we, weren't, we weren't going to do audio clips for this first episode, so I'm going to have to just uh, go off the cuff here. But there's this cognitive test that President Trump keeps citing and he keeps bringing it up. He brought it up in the Chris Wallace interview where during the cognitive test, they asked him to remember and recite a previous question. And he was like, man, camera, woman but like whatever it was and it's just ridiculous so i've seen uh, a split screen panel here and i'm looking for it on my page if you give me one second that shows the stark differences between past presidents now keep in mind biden was a vp so i love memes i love memes on social media and this is a meme but this is factually correct so what i have in front of me is got jimmy carter in the top left panel naval academy grad studied nuclear physics, top right panel, former President Bill Clinton, Yale grad and broad scholar at Oxford, lower left panel, former President Barack Obama, president of Harvard Law Review, and then it's got Donald Trump in the lower right corner. It says, can pick out an elephant from a sketch. Now, I realize <laughs> that this is just a meme. I realize it's just a meme, but its implications really do register What actual track record in government or in policy did Donald Trump have as a businessman before becoming the commander in chief? You were talking about the bankruptcies and everything else. So that split screen moment of actually seeing former Vice President Joe Biden, who was Barack Obama's VP during a pivotal administration not just the first african-american elected president of the united states they were coming in off the economic crash the 2007 crash under the bush administration and there were um incredible leaps forward as far as lgbtq rights etc so this will be biden's chance to show the stark difference i do not understand all the hate for biden by the way scott it's completely lost on me but if there are skeptics and doubters out there he's got to perform That's my analysis. Joe Biden has to show up and deliver in top form. He has to.
1: He does. And I think we need to go into that in depth in an episode coming up here about um, the perceived weaknesses of Biden, because I think there are some. There definitely are some perceived weaknesses. And are they actual? It's something we can definitely debate. But as far as the choice of candidates we have right now, I can't find it more starkly clear Uh, on who to vote for in this election. It's a a difference not only of competency, which you point out so well, but it's a difference of tone. It's a difference of making an example for the younger people of our nation of what a president should do, should be about, um, should be for the presidency. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's something we're going to have to look into because I, I think Biden has been called to task on whether he is fit to be coming. It's a, it's a good debate, but I feel he is 100% more competent than our current president.
0: I think I think that that's a great segue to this piece in the Atlantic that we uh, wanted to talk about. So there was an article from Bernie Sanders supporter Nina Turner and Cornell West, literally – okay, folks <laughs> – Nina Turner writes, don't count Trump out. Poland could be wrong. The economy could recover just enough. And he could also announce his own October surprise. There's the October surprise. And Ms. Turner gave a glimpse into her personal struggle in between choosing between Trump and presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. Literally, she said, this is, uh, I'm not going to use the profanity, but she wrote, it's like saying to somebody, you have to choose between a bowl of in front of you and all you have is eat half of it instead of the whole thing. It's still blank, the former Ohio Senator said. So she's basically saying it's a turd and it's herd, that this is an absolute, you know, hold your nose and go into the polling station. What do you think about that? I mean there is there is a whole concern out there that all of the Bernie bros are again not going to come to the Democratic side. Do you feel that? Is that a concern that you share?
1: I am worried about it to some extent. Um, I think, of course, Nina Turner was a surrogate for Bernie's campaign. Um, Nina is actually, as you said, a state senator from Ohio. I have met Nina on a couple occasions in different functions around the state because I'm pretty active in state politics here. Uh, She is definitely outspoken. She is definitely opinionated, which is good in a lot of ways. But she is – I I have a hard time with her not thinking there's an alternative. Um, If it's not Biden who, as you said, if Biden – we're calling Biden the presumptive nominee until the uh, convention, but he has secured enough of the delegates. So he really is the nominee. He just hasn't been formally announced at the convention. But he's done the 273 delegates you need. He's got those. Or uh, I think – that's president, I'm sorry. You got every many delegates you need, the 1,000-plus delegates you need to secure the nomination. He's got that. Uh, so she is a complete Bernie supporter. Cornell was a complete Bernie. And she is talking about having to hold her nose for it. Maybe true compared to if Bernie was on the ticket. He is not on the ticket. If it is compared to voting for Donald Trump or Biden... That's not holding my nose. That is a clear and present danger choice. Who is more of a clear and present danger to our democracy, President Trump or President Biden? I don't think there's room for debate there, do you?
0: So, again, I'm going to just pull back the curtain and reveal my true feelings on the matter. A lot of people thought that I was early. Do Do you remember, by the way, I think it was Al Green, maybe like the first person in the Congress that tried to call for impeachment, and everyone was like, too early. It's too early on. Right. Well, <laughs> right. let, me, let me tell you. Let me tell you straightforward, right here on the air. You heard it here first on the air. Here's when I believe that Donald Trump was a lifelong criminal, racist, and ready to turn this country on its ear and destroy the rule of law. From the moment he took the escalator ride down and announced, I knew from the day of the launch that we were in trouble with this guy. Uh, when he launched his campaign using kind of the back version of the racist twist of, you know, the immigrants are the real danger. It was like, wait, that's not their platform. The platform that he launched on is not the accepted grand old party platform. But um, before I go too far down the rabbit trail, can I just hit, there's a couple of points from her article in the Atlantic. Here's a couple of things. Her point, number one, the economy could come back just enough So where are we at right now, right? We've lost 30-plus million jobs due to COVID-19, and the one thing Trump had going for him is the economy. Do you think it's possible that they pull some October surprise of their own via pumping money out to the people, more stimulus money, more incentives to open up companies to get jobs back? Do you think that between Mnuchin and Trump, they could spin something to get the economy up enough to get out the votes that way?
1: Not over-surprised, I don't think. I mean, they're try- just with what's happening now, I mean, yesterday the uh, Senate Republicans announced their new stimulus package, and they are actually backing off by $400 um, the, the unemployment. They want to go to a 75% uh, of what your former um, income was. And a lot of people were struggling with 100% of their final income. So I don't think that president and Steve Mnuchin alone can do enough to spur it without Congress's help, and they're already having trouble in the Republican-controlled Senate. So I think there's could be some October surprises. Economy is not one of them, I don't believe.
0: Um, her other point, of course, is point number two, polling could be wrong again. We've kind of touched on that. Um, just looking back at 2016, I mean, I don't know about you, but I woke up with a splitting headache, um, I also had notes on my door, by the way. The house that I lived in, I was very surprised how many people were on the other side, Scott. I actually woke up to handwritten notes on my door the morning after Hillary lost that were like, sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> this is real. He really won. The polling didn't tell us that, did it, Scott?
1: No, polling was totally wrong, I think. Uh, I mean, it was and It wasn't. it <laughs> wasn't. It was wrong as far as who's going to be president it was right who was going to win the popular vote and that polling kind of was exactly how much she won by she won by a couple million votes and that's actually what the polling showed where she lost was the electoral college and that should be another show in and of itself that we do down the line here in the next hundred days but uh so yeah polling was wrong but it was right which is very hard to comprehend for me. That's why I think we have to pay a lot of attention here.
0: Yes. Uh, so what is uh, what are we calling today? Is today day 99? Where where are we at?
1: We're at 99. Today is day 99, counting the third. Um, some people started the 100-down count, count day on Sunday, which brought you right to the day before the election. We counted Monday, which brings us to the day of the election on the third. So we're at day 99 here.
0: All right. You just inspired me to bring up um, the, the spring off of that polling debate. This is a CNN piece titled Trump is Behind in a State No Republican Has Won the Presidency Without in 96 Years. This piece was published by CNN on 27th. And I believe, let me look here. Okay, a CNN poll finds that former Vice President Joe Biden leads in the state of Florida by a 51 to 46 margin over President Donald Trump among registered voters. So let's talk about Florida Oh, Florida. <laughs> if I recall correctly, I believe this had something to do with the uh, terrible debacle that we went through with Bush v. Gore back in 2000. Florida has been a hang 'em high state. This has been a real, what did they call that, the hanging chad?
1: The hanging chad, yes, sir.
0: Well, so if polls right now are showing Biden at 51 to 46, well, that's a narrow margin. Um, just look at the delegate math. I think CNN is calling it correctly. Trump needs Florida. There are certain states he can't afford to lose in terms of delegate mass. Am I right? It's trending blue, buddy. It's trending blue. Yeah, at the I
1: think so. I mean, I, at one point, I think he was up by 12 points in Florida. Nobody thinks he's going to win Florida by 12 points. Florida's always been razor-thin margins, very close. Always one of the last one to get results, as you said, Bush v. Gore. Um, that was a huge last-second thing that was done by Supreme Court. Every election since then, it's been one of the very last states to report. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes. He's not going to win it by 12 or 6 points. If he wins it, I think Biden will win by probably 2 to 3 points at the most. I think it's still going to be very, very close. But you're right. If Trump loses Florida, he's pretty much lost the election. He would have a very hard time catching up those delegates from anywhere else. Yeah, eyes are going to be on Florida yet again. You're right.
0: No Republican has won the presidency without Florida since Calvin Coolidge in 1924. So you folks listening at home, let that sink in. No Republican has won the presidency without Florida since Calvin Coolidge in the 1920s. Florida is that important to the mass. Right. Uh, so, so I feel, I feel a little bit leery of polls. Do you have anything else we're going to cover on the broadcast today? <laughs> Just cleansing our mouth of well, the polls.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, and one last thing I want to go on you, when you're talking about Bernie and uh, Nina Turner and Cornell West. One of the things that wasn't referenced in their article, but a lot of the, quote, unquote, Bernie bros, as we call them, were talking about they're a little concerned that Biden has not committed to having Medicare for all on the party platform of the Democrats, which I think is an interesting call because I know that that is something progressives really want. Uh, Biden is not committed to that as of yet. And I understand that because he was part of the Obamacare act and everything, the affordable care act, and he wants to improve upon that act. So I think that's going to be an interesting point as far as going back to your conversation. If the Bernie bros are going to switch the election, what do you think about putting Medicare for all on the platform? Is that something that, uh, you would hang your hat on? Is that one of your main topics?
0: Um, I'm not, I'm not a huge Medicare for all guy, but I want to make sure that we get the Cornell, well, I, I guess we went for her quote. Here was what Cornell said. We have to be true to ourselves and acknowledge that Biden is a mediocre, milk toast, neoliberal centrist that we've been fighting against in the democratic establishment. And so, okay, he's a mediocre, milquetoast, neoliberal centrist. Is this guy for real? I mean, do they really believe that he's that far in the center, that he can't pull in the other sides? Is that why the Medicare for all is being pushed upon Biden to kind of invite the Bernie bros to come on board the train? Is, is that how I'm interpreting this?
1: I think that's exactly right. I think that if you're not on the far left progressive, that they're not going to be happy with any candidate. But you've got to look at who the candidate is. Their candidate is not the candidate. So it goes back to the same point, um, whether you're, uh, are you for Biden? Or are you for Trump? That's the simple decision. If you're for third party green candidate, you're for Trump. If you're for Kanye West, you're for Trump. If you're for, there's only two, I mean, we can debate all about whether we should have a two party system that they dominate the elections. That's a great debate to have. And there's a lot of good points on there. But until that changes, we are in a two party system. A Democrat or a Republican is going to win. So you have a choice. You can vote for the Republican, you can vote for the Democrat. If you don't vote for either, they usually go for the incumbent. That's just the way politics works.
0: Oh, boy. I, I think I'm going to upgrade this coffee to something a little stronger. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, by there the way, so folks, just a reveal here, we're taping in the morning on Tuesday. So I want you to know that when I looked away from the television right before I got on the phone with Scott, our attorney general, William Barr, was testifying to the House Judiciary Committee and they <laughs> their opening salvo was merciless, man. They were literally breaking down how he's been a cinco fan for di- I'd only heard like two minutes of the opening salvo. But um, if you have a moment here, I do want to weigh in on Attorney General William Barr currently testifying to that committee and how it relates to what's happening here in Portland. If you have a moment to go down the Portland rabbit trail.
2: Yeah, let's go
1: to Portland because I, we only have like about 15 minutes left. So I want to definitely get your perspective since you do live there. Let's talk about Portland. Go ahead and give me your perspective And then I will chime in here, but uh, share with us.
0: I have the unique advantage of being headquartered here in Portland, Oregon. Um, Both This is Justice Scott into the audience. I moved here 30 years ago, so I know this town very well. The protests that you're seeing on a nightly basis, last night was night 61 of sustained protests here in Portland, Oregon, is something that I've never seen before in the history of the town that I live in and quite possibly something that we've not seen in the history of this country. Um, here is a headline from this morning's Oregonian. Portland protesters gassed by federal officers as they advanced through the streets and park on Monday. A couple of numbers that they've collected. About a thousand demonstrators returned to the streets of Portland last night for the 61st consecutive day. And it again brought waves of tear gas from the federal officials who labeled the gathering unlawful. Um, on a personal note, I was going to go cover events in portland but i was going to get footage and interviews both for gbc news and for your station but i opted out of last night after someone sent me and again we're going to go with the rigorous honesty a photograph of one of the wall of moms who unfortunately got shot in the face with one of their quote-unquote less lethal munitions and scott let me just be direct with you, buddy seeing the uh Photograph of her from the hospital it was really eye opening to realize that that level of brutality from the federal agents that our president has deployed to Portland. You know, we're talking about the Federal Protective Services and Custom and Border Patrol for them to be using non lethal munitions and to openly shoot people in the head and in the face. This is an unprecedented event. There's a reason that the Attorney General has been called up to Capitol Hill to explain this today. So what do you know? What does is, what is Portland look like to you from your perspective on the other side of the country?
1: Well, I have to tell you, I'm, this is where the libertarian in me come out. Um, I'm true blue Democrat, of course. But here is my issues with Portland. And I lived for Portland for four years. I'm not a lifelong resident as you, but I, uh, I lived in Portland for four years, so I know the area very well. That's right. I love Portland, one of my favorite cities. That being said, I, the thing I am having – trouble wrapping my I am totally against having the federal police there I think the way they were just pulling people off the streets um, for no apparent reason and then releasing them with no charges was the most utter bullshit I've ever seen I don't like it that being said I do not agree with the defacing and the trying to tear down of the federal courthouse these people are only allowed to protect federal buildings i'm trying to remember my geography of portland but there's that beautiful long park that goes its way into oregon state university university of oregon whatever that is uh, up on the far side PSU. of town there
0: PS, psu I, yes
1: that's there right. you go psu i do not understand why the protesters do not move there because then the federal police have no right to do anything to them they are they're going under the guise quote-unquote guise of protecting a federal building if you moved 500 yards away from a federal building they have no legal rights to be dispersing you if that's that's my understanding what is your i don't understand why i don't like the defacing of the building you can disagree with it you can protest it all you can but i think we are losing our point with the graffiti, with the people with pickaxes tearing down bricks. I disagree with that 8,000%. What are your thoughts on that part of it?
0: Here's here's something that I've been privately sharing with people because everyone wants to know what's going on in Portland. I've gotten concerned letters and emails from family members. Who knows which network they're watching, if they're watching Fox or whatever they're turning into. They think that we are a city under siege. So first and foremost, Let me say this, folks. I live here, so let me say this. The protests are confined to a two-block radius around the courthouse. If you are four blocks away, you can't tell that anything is happening. There is nothing going on outside of that region, and Portland is functioning as normally as the pandemic will allow. It is not burning, nor is it out of control. But now here is where we have to have a kind of come-to-Jesus moment. This is a real problem. Obviously, the death of George Floyd, which inspired nationwide protests, is a historic moment in police injustice and the Black Lives Matter movement, and that's what initiated the protests in Portland. But there's two narratives, Scott, and I'm unfortunately going to have to put on my journalist hat and try to go with the facts. There's a lot of people trying to spin it and say peaceful protesters have been coming under fire and gas from the Portland police and then now the FPS. Well, let me tell you, all of the local stations, when they tune out at 11 p.m., they're no longer sending out their news crews. They're no longer broadcasting past 11 p.m., so you have to go to the live streamers, and they have revealed what's really going on. People in that crowd... Are using commercial-grade fireworks so they are firing at the courthouse with commercial-grade fireworks they're firing at those officers sometimes hitting the officers with commercial-grade fireworks Um, I have a screen grab here of materials that were both confiscated and photographs were posted by the federal authorities it says authorities confiscate shields and leaf blowers and materials used in making Molotov cocktails So I know from the nights that I have been down there and from what you see on the live streams that there are people lighting fires, there are people shooting fireworks at federal property and at the authorities. So I do not want to give our president any like he was right to send in the goon squad, but if you follow that through. Our city is out of control, and you have these anarchists that are trying to steal the thunder of the Black Lives Matter movement that really are attacking federal property and attacking law enforcement officials, and it's a real problem, and it's going on every night.
1: No, and that's my entire point. I think if – and the majority are peaceful. I If you look at my social media the other day, there was a TikTok video protest – or. a TikTok video posted showing thousands of people in protest chanting Black Lives Matter very peaceably with their flashlights and everything. If those people would move 500 yards away from the courthouse, keep the federal people at the courthouse so any of these anarchists that want to tear it down, kind of do that, I think it would be an entirely different scene. Because I think for the the majority of the people in Portland – the majority of the people in any protest are peaceful protesters. But there are agitators out there. It's just the nature of the beast. I think we've seen that always. And sometimes there's there's need for agitation. I mean, we talk about our LGBTQ rights. There was confrontation with the police back in Stonewall. We did not burn down Stonewall. We did not take set fire to the streets. We had physical con- uh, conflicts with the police. That is something that happened. I understand that, but that was not to do with destroying public property, and I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think it's a very small faction of it, and as you said, it's it's a serious problem. So there's, it's two separate things, the protest and the defacing and the destroying of the courthouse in my mind are two separate things, and I wish that the protesters would separate themselves from that and find a different place to congregate. Portland is beautiful, just Waterfront Park. I mean, can hold all of those people, and it's a beautiful place right along the water. I don't understand why we're at the courthouse every night. I'm just a little confused.
0: Oh, I just want to say if this gives you any insight into where I'm at. <laughs> um, shall we quote Alex from Clockwork Crunch, your humble host and narrator. I'm your humble co-host for Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, Scott, and listeners. I am not able to relax. I am not able to get a moment's peace. At this point, I'm getting text messages on the regular into the 3 a.m. hour from people who are like, oh, my God, did you see what's happening on this live stream? Did you see what's happening over here? Um, Here, I just did a general Google search on Portland, Oregon right now just to see what we got. Here's the split screen of headlines, The Guardian. Attorney General will defend aggressive US response to Portland protests. That's what's happening right now. Hopefully you and your other co host will do a deep dive on what happened with William Barr tomorrow. We're not gonna be able to get to that today, Scott. CNN. Portland mayor Ted Wheeler demands immediate meeting with DHS to discuss ceasefire. And then, even more concerningly, John Oliver mocked Ted Wheeler with a terrifying teddy bear. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um that just, means, that just means that that phrase that I've heard the protesters shout, the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. Um, I can't believe it, but that the last two weeks, I watch all the Sunday shows, by the way. I watch State of the Union. I watch Meet the Press. I watch Fox News. And I watch all the Sunday shows. The last two weeks, Portland, Oregon was a major segment on all the Sunday shows. Do you know what a surreal experience that is for me to already have been in the pit of despair from coronavirus and everything else going on in my life, being in a presidency to now have Portland, Oregon, be this flashpoint. Um, But it's not going to stop there, Scott. As you've already seen, the president indicated it this week. They were preparing to send up to 75,000 more troops and deploy them to cities, mostly Democratic-run. Isn't that right?
1: That is what he is saying. And like I said, you never know when you can take him at his word and when you can't. But that is supposedly what's happening. So as I said, I just wish... These are federal troops. They're to protect federal places. So I really hope that uh, the protesters who are organizing all of this keep at it every single day. Keep sticking up for Black Lives Matter, keep sticking up for equal rights for women, for gays, but do it away from the courthouse. Please move yourself away and do your peaceful protests. And I think we would have a lot uh better voice in there so yeah i, I don't know i i feel for you my friend portland is a very hard place to be in right now
0: yeah so this is going to be a hard pivot but i think we have about three minutes left so isn't this where jerry where they would cut to jerry spring you know, into jerry's final thoughts or whatever um before i lose you and no contact to you again until thursday what do we think about that october surprise i'm going to take a wild guess and think that you think it's going to be a cure for the coronavirus but what do you think the october surprise will be
1: I think it's going to be one of two things. I think if they have one, it's going to be a cure for the coronavirus, or it's going to be William Barr and his little lackey there doing the FBI. John Durham who's doing the Russian investigation on the FBI's actions. I think they're either going to put a scathing uh, report on the Mueller investigation and the Trump investigation and just kind of cause up a whole bunch of controversy there, or they're going to do the vaccine. I think the vaccine will be the only thing that will be effective. I think the Mueller and the FBI thing has been already debated to death, and people are kind of dug in on, on their position either way. So I don't think that part's going to change it. So that's October surprise doesn't scare me as much as a vaccine, as much as I want to have a vaccine. I'm more afraid they're going to rush a vaccine that might not, be what we need to have an October surprise. So that's my feelings. What's yours?
0: Um, I'm really hoping that it's something damaging to the Trump camp, because I think Biden has had such a long history in government and um, the allegations, you know, which have so far proven as unfounded by various women. Um, which his own staff said they had no recollections and supported that. I don't think there could be any really dirty Biden surprise, none that I foresee, but there's so much potential with Trump. You've got Ghislaine Maxwell currently in custody facing uh, charges of child sex trafficking, having supported um, Jeffrey Epstein, and Trump is all wrapped up in that, not to mention the amount of uh, potentially. Uh, sealed indictments against Trump in the Southern District of New York. So any number of leaks of cases pending against him in the Southern District, how much he really had to do with Jeffrey Epstein, Galeen Maxwell, there's so much potential for there to be a October surprise that destroys Trump, in my opinion, destroys right. him, wipes him out.
1: I like that because I don't have any on, on the Biden side for an October surprise. I only have them on the Trump side to to hurt Biden. So I like having that optimism. I don't have that optimism as yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for you. That's what I would like to see. I'm kind of more worried about a Trump-October surprise. But there is definitely potential out there on both sides. I didn't kind of think about the Maxwell thing. That's a good point. Well, Brandon Carmody, this has been an amazing hour of the last 100 days as we count down towards the election 2020. What would you like to leave us with today? What are your thoughts for the day?
0: Well, I, uh, I brought all of that uh, charm and political rigor to the discussion today because of its last hundred days. This is it. This is it. This is our last chance. It's now or never, Scott. That's my uh, that's my witty, dry, sarcasm speaking, that uh, it's now or never because uh, we might, oh, I, I pray, we can't, we cannot go. Bolton said it. Speaking Bolton said it, Scott, that we would not survive another Trump term. Bolton said it. And I'm with him. And I heard your co-host yesterday. Good show, by the way. He's a good guy. um, Say that it would be the end of democracy. I'm there. Democracy would die. It's if we quote Padme. So this is how liberty dies in a thunderous applause. If Trump gets a second term, this country may never recover for decades. He will do irreparable damage to the sovereignty of the United States of America. That's my closing thought. Well
1: said on you. Brandon Cartman, I'm looking forward to talking every Tuesday and Thursday. We will have special guests on occasion. Otherwise, we are just going to be giving our opinions, and we more than welcome yours. If you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Last 100 Days Pod. Last 100 Days was a movie, so we had to add the pod to it. So you can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow us on social and send us any direct messages or any information you would like at Last Hundred Days Pod. And you can also reach out to us at Last Hundred Days at LeftOfStraightRadio.com. We have an email address if you'd like to give your opinion or want us to talk about something. That's Last 100. and That's the number 100, not spelled out. Last 100 days at leftofstraightradio.com. We'd be more than happy to read your, uh, your thoughts uh, on air if we find them appropriate, and we would love to hear from you. So, Brandon, thank you so much. Let's uh, wrap up our President Trump in one final word by playing out to our buddy Ben Hazelwood from Australia. This is his hit, Lying. You're listening to the Last 100 Days podcast with Brandon and Scott right here in the Left of Straight Radio Network.
2: That I'm lost, losing my head. Pulling on the truth, starting to what I meant. I'll collapse into regret. Are you close enough to feel?